seated. Well, I'm truly happy, and I've got to admit, a bit scared to be preaching at St. John's today. It's the first time I've preached here in about a year, and I've only preached here one other time. Many of you know me, and those of you that do know me know how much this church means to me. I came here to St. John's 13 years ago to see if I could connect with a God whom I didn't understand in the least. God willing, in less than a month, I will be ordained as a priest in the Episcopal Church. I can't even begin to tell you what a strange and wonderful trip this has been, a spirit-guided trip. But I can tell you this, I came here full of doubt, yet hungry to believe, and there's plenty I still don't understand about God's ways, and especially about the ways of humanity. But I have come to believe that God is good, and that God wants only good for us because at God's heart there is only love. Today we will baptize Stephen and baptism is one of our two great sacraments of the gospel given by Christ to his church. The other great sacrament is the Holy Eucharist and today we get to participate in that also. It's kind of a double header today This is our sacramental day, thanks be to God. The Book of Common Prayer tells us in the section near the end called the Outline of the Faith, commonly called the Catechism, and I highly recommend it to you, it's wonderful reading, that the sacraments are outward and visible signs of inward and spiritual grace given by Christ as sure and certain means by which we receive that grace. So when we baptize someone, We're not only seeing the sign of God's amazing grace and love, but the person being baptized and we as participants in the baptism are actually receiving that grace and love. The same wonderful and mysterious things happen at the Eucharist. We receive the bread and the wine which have become for us the body and blood of Christ, the bread of heaven, the cup of salvation. We believe that we receive grace straight from God through these physical elements, water and oil at the baptism, bread and wine at the Eucharist. In our faith, which is grounded in these sacraments, the line between the physical and the spiritual is very thin indeed. Maybe it is more like a porous membrane that we cross through in the rituals of the sacraments from things to spirit. Or maybe it is like a thin veil which is being removed from between us and God, so we see God and receive God's grace face to face. It was the richness of the language of the Episcopal Church that drew me into the Episcopal Church because I heard God speaking directly to me in the words of our liturgy, our prayers, and our songs. Reverend Herbert O'Driscoll was here and spoke a few years ago, and I will always remember something that he said. He said that we Anglicans have always done our very best theology through poetry and song. I think he's right. Some of the finest poetic language I know is contained in our Book of Common Prayer. And I heard God speaking to me also through your voices, because once again, the line between you and me and God is very thin indeed. Another place that we can hear God speaking to us is in the language of scripture. 
Our college today referred to that. I'll bet there are many of you in here who have at least one passage or one verse or one story from the Bible that speaks directly to your heart and your soul and that it makes perfect sense, at least in that piece of scripture, that God is talking and you are hearing. And if you're anything like me, there are huge long chunks of scripture that are practically indecipherable. And some that on some days sound downright offensive. So reading scripture can be a little bit tricky. Not that scripture is somehow unreliable or false, but these days, in these times, we recognize that everything we read, hear, and see must be interpreted, and that includes scripture. So how are we going to hear and think about and actually, perhaps, take to heart today's gospel reading? We not only have to interpret scripture in ways that make sense to us personally, but we must see if scripture can somehow make sense in the context of the world in which we find ourselves. Today, that is a world where Paris has been torn apart. It's also a day that Beirut has been torn apart, Kenya has been torn apart, Syria has been torn apart. The very heart of the world today fields torn apart. I sometimes worry about these little discrete packages of scripture that we read in our liturgy of the word. I worry that taken out of context, they can sound trite or meaningless, or worse, that they can be heard to mean things that they were never intended to say. Today's gospel is the opening verses to what is known as Mark's little apocalypse. Now, if there was ever a term that qualified as an oxymoron, little apocalypse probably is it. The small, insignificant end times? The miniature Armageddon? No, it's called little because it's short and poetically to the point. It took the writer of the Revelation to John, I think, 25 pages in my Bible to describe his version of the apocalypse. Well, Mark does it in one short chapter. Here in this chapter, Jesus tells his disciples a story of what the end times might look like and what the world will be like when the Son of Man comes in great power and glory. He tells his story using beautiful, poetic words and images to describe horrible, terrifying things. The interesting thing is Jesus is telling them the story of what the world was actually like in the days that the story was written not in some undefined future time. Jesus told them a story of the condition of the world where they found themselves. Jesus' story was then and is now apocalyptic in the truest meaning of the word. You see, apocalyptic didn't originally refer to the end of the world or to the rapture or to Armageddon. Here's what it meant. Taking the cover from what is hidden, revealing the truth. An apocalyptic takes present worldly events and lifts the veil so that the viewer can see what is really going on. It tells the spiritual truths of what's happening in the physical world. It's an attempt to help the hearer of the story pass through that porous membrane between the sometimes horrific events in the world that cause so much pain and human suffering, wars, rumors of wars, natural disasters, disease, hunger, and it, it asks us, it demands that we not look away, 
but rather look at human suffering full on to see that something else, something else perhaps only known to God, is going on. Jesus says that the world is broken and in pain, but he says this is but the beginning of the birth pangs. That what feels like death in the world is actually labor pains, and something new is about to be born. Here's what was going on in the world around the time the Gospel of Mark was being written. Judea was under cruel and oppressive Roman rule. The Jews revolted, their revolt was smashed, and the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. Early Christians, the very first generation of Christians, were being persecuted and executed by the Emperor Nero because they were seen as a threat. There was a seven-year drought, which surely caused famine. Things were ugly in Judea, and for the Jews and Christians, it may well have seemed that the world was coming to an end. In a very real way, their world was coming to an end. Everything they had come to rely on was being destroyed, Pardon me, and they felt the stones of the temple crashing down around them. They didn't know what was coming next. All they knew was that everywhere they looked, there was pain. How can it possibly be that what they were feeling was the pain of labor, the birth pangs? Things are ugly in our world now, too. There are wars in every part of the globe. We're directly involved in some of them, and we're indirectly involved in every one of them as members of the human race, killing members of the human race, diminishes all of us. The news coming out of Paris is especially sad and terrifying because it seems so senseless and random. It's nearly impossible to wrap our minds around the atrocities being committed in the name of somebody's understanding of God. Yet, to the terrorists who murdered the innocents, it made perfect, twisted sense, and, that was, and it was anything but random because it furthered their agenda, which is the agenda of terror. Is there any solace to be found in Mark's little apocalypse for us to hear today, or for any of the suffering people in this broken world, the survivors, the wounded, those who have lost everything that they loved? By one count, there are 30 armed conflicts and wars going on worldwide. But I think that there is solace, and I think it's to be found further into the chapter than we read today. Further on, Jesus tells us that there will be suffering, there will always be suffering, and that in the midst of our suffering, false messiahs and prophets will appear, and they will produce signs and omens, but don't believe them. We might bear this in mind while listening to the pundits and talking heads, Twitter feeds, and Facebook posts that call for more war to end war, for more guns, bombs, and killing to end killing. There seems to be no end to false messiahs these days. Anyone with a computer or a mobile device can be a self-proclaimed prophet. Very, very few speak with the humility and compassion of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, be alert. I have already told you everything. And he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. He is saying that the voices of people who see only the surfaces of things will only see human ways and means as solutions to suffering. Jesus offers solace to us, but it is not a soft, easy solace. 
It is not everything's going to be okay. Everything happens for a reason. Good will triumph over evil. Jesus isn't saying that. He offers us in his words that will not pass away a comfort that comes with responsibility. Jesus' words, and more importantly, his actions throughout the Gospels show us over and over what it means to work for the kingdom of God on earth. It means being with the sick and the dying, the outcasts, and the lowest human beings on the social ladder. It means feeding the hungry, giving up everything that gets in between us and God. It means persisting even when the stones of the temple are falling down around us, even when the bullets are flying and the towers are falling to love our neighbors, and even, and here's the catch, to love our enemies. Jesus shows us that there is only one way that we can carry this, this responsibility into the world of war and famine, and that is by the love and grace of God, the same love and grace that we will receive in the sacraments here as soon as I'm done with this, and I almost am done with this. <laughs> and then we're told at every end of every service to carry this love and grace out, in, out of the church and into the world. It would be much easier, wouldn't it, if what Jesus was saying to us today was, don't worry, all this mayhem and horror is the beginning of the end of the world. It would almost be a relief, wouldn't it, to be able to just give up. It would really let us off the hook if all we had to do was sit back and watch Armageddon unfold. But this is not it. This is not the end. This is just another chapter in our story of humanity in the world. There are plenty of times when it's not a pretty story, but it is a story that calls us to Christ-like action. Yes, we live in apocalyptic times. Jesus lived in apocalyptic times. Joan of Arc lived in apocalyptic times. Your great-grandfather lived in apocalyptic times. Your mother lived in apocalyptic times. There has been no golden age since Eden. The first thing that happened, remember, once we left the garden, was a man killed his brother. Yet God has been with us every step of the way, I'm certain of it, from creation to today, November 15th, 2015. I have faith that God has been with us and will be with every generation to the end of time. My prayer today is that God the Father, creator of all that is good, will sustain us, that God the Son, who suffered and died for us, will grant us his compassion, and that God the Holy Spirit will inspire us to work where there is war, disaster, famine, to produce peace, justice, and abundance. Amen. <laughs>